This is Filipina Ghost Cousins only on Keith TV. The Great New England Vampire Panic Okay cousins, 200 years after the Salem witch trials ended, farmers in New England became convinced that their relatives were returning, as vampires, from the grave to feed on the living. A few years ago the story gained national attention, as in Griswold, Connecticut some children were playing near a hillside gravel pit stumblebed upon a makeshift grave. One of them ran home to tell his mother. Local police thought it was the work of a man named Michael Ross, a convicted serial killer, and they taped off the area as a crime scene. It was discovered that the graves were, in fact, more than a hundred years old. The Connecticut state archaeologist determined that Gravel Pit was actually a colonial Lara Farm cemetery. When the excavation crew raised a stone covering a red coffin, they noticed that the remains had been completely rearranged. The skeleton had been beheaded, skull and thigh bones rested atop the ribs and vertebrae. It looked like a skull and crossbones motif, a Jolly Roger. Analysis later revealed that the beheading, along with other injuries, including rib fractures, occurred roughly five years after death. Somebody had also smashed the coffin. All the other skeletons in the Gravel Hillside Cemetery were relocated to another plot, except for this one, which became known as J.B., a 50-ish-year-old male from the 1830s, because of the initials spelled out in brass tacks on his coffin lid. The skeletal remains were shipped to the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Washington, D.C., for further study. Finally, one colleague asked, Ever heard of the Jewett City Vampires? The story goes as such, in 1854, in Jewett City, Connecticut, townspeople had exhumed several corpses suspected to be vampires that were rising from their graves to kill the living. A few newspaper accounts of these events survived. During this time frame, multiple exhumations had occurred. Many of the other vampires, like J.B., had been disinterred, mutilated and then reburied. Tuberculosis was commonly known as consumption at the time was rampant in the area the classic symptoms were a chronic, sometimes bloody cough, along with fever and weight loss. To helpless loved ones, it appeared as though the victim was withering away. Without medicine, TB was devastating. By the dawn of the 19th century, it was responsible for approximately one out of every four deaths in the eastern U.S. Based on what they were seeing, and a good old dose of superstition, many early New Englanders believed that vampires were responsible for the symptoms. One of the earliest known cases of New England vampirism to have a name attached to it was that of Rachel Harris, who died of tuberculosis in 1790. The year after her death, her widower, Captain Isaac Burton, married her stepsister, Hulda. Before long, Hulda began exhibiting symptoms similar to Rachel's, and family and friends therefore reasoned that Rachel was the culprit. In February 1793, more than 500 Manchester residents braved frigid temperatures to watch the liver, heart, and lungs be removed from Rachel's exhumed corpse and burned on a blacksmith's forge. According to some versions of the tale, portions of the organs were preserved to make a medicine for Hulda. 
regardless, she died that September. There were others. A. Gale Staples from Cumberland, Rhode Island. In February 1796, the Cumberland Town Council granted permission for Stephen Staples to exhume the body of his 23-year-old daughter, Abigail, who had died of TB or consumption. Shortly after Abigail's death, her sister, Lavinia, had started showing the familiar symptoms of consumption. Lavinia told of dreams in which a shadowy figure sat heavily on her chest and drew out her breath, during one of those dreams, she reportedly called out Abigail's name. The town officials consented that Staples could try an experiment to save Lavina's life, despite noting the decision was made against the better conscience of this council. The Spalding family of Dummerston, Vermont. In his journal entry of September 26, 1859, Henry David Thoreau noted, The savage in man is never quite eradicated. I have just read of a family in Vermont, who, several of its members having died of consumption, just burned the lungs and heart and liver of the last deceased, in order to prevent any more from having it. At the time, Thoreau himself had long been battling tuberculosis, of which he would die three years later, although in his case no one seems to have suspected vampire involvement. As for the episode to which Thoreau referred, it's likely the 1790s ordeal of the Spalding family. Having lost six of his eleven adult children to consumption, Lieutenant Leonard Spalding was desperate. When yet another daughter grew ill, the body of the most recently deceased child was dug up and the vital organs removed and burned. Incidentally, one vampire-adjacent belief of the day was that vines would grow between buried caskets, and that once all of the burials in a plot had been so connected, another family member would die. When Spalding's son Reuben was buried in 1794, his grave was set apart from those of his other family members, possibly to break the chain. Mercy Brown of Exeter, Rhode Island In 1883, Mercy's mother died of consumption. Seven months later, Mercy's 20-year-old sister died, and a couple years after that both Mercy and her brother Edwin grew ill. Edwin was sent away to recover, but Mercy soon died. Mercy's father, George, was by then desperate to save his remaining children and though he was said not to believe in vampires consented to have his family's bodies exhumed. As the Providence Journal reported on March 21, 1892, Dr. Harold Metcalf, the medical examiner of the district, who examined the bodies, is not one to believe in the vampire superstition. He made his examination, without exceptional results, according to his own belief, but found in one of the bodies, to the satisfaction of many of the people down there, a sign which they regarded as proof. When he removed the heart and liver from Mercy's body, a quantity of blood dripped therefrom. The vampire, the attendants of the doctor said, and then, conforming to the theory of the necessity of destroying the vampire, burned the heart and liver. On Friday 19, 1875 the Augusta Maine Journal reported, a young man in the town of Vassalboro was suffering in the last stages of consumption, the disease which had insidiously and stealthily brought him to the verge of the grave. For several weeks he had been entirely prostrate and unable to speak, even to articulate a syllable. 
he became so oppressed for breath that he compelled his attendants to raise the windows in his room, put out the fires, and resort to every means to obtain fresh air. One day last week, the young man died. Friendly hands prepared the poor emaciated body for the burial, but just as the attending friends were arranging the remains for the casket, there appeared unmistakable evidence of returning life in what had seemed to them an inanimate mass of clay. The car of an attendant was bent down to the side of the dead man, and it was discovered that the heart had begun again at slow and measured palpitations the pulse throbbed, and the young man arose from the death shrouds, opened his mouth, and spoke in clear and distinct words to those who stood appalled in the death chamber. There was no huskiness in his voice, he appeared lively and active, said he felt not the slightest pain, but, to use his own language, I feel just as well as I ever did. At his request, the neighbors were all called in, who crowded the house for hours, declaring that the recovery of the man was equal to any miracle recorded in the scriptures. He told this startled assemblage of his friends and neighbors that, as he died, all things seemed dark, but only for an instant, his eyes suddenly opened to a new world, the real heaven which had been given him so much comfort in his last weeks of pain and sorrow. He stood upon an eminence which overlooked a vast and beautiful plain, the magnificent plain stretched further than his enlarged vision could penetrate, and he described it in language which to his mortal auditors seemed extravagant in the extreme. But the revivified life of the young man was not to continue long. Before night he again resigned himself to death. The body was kept a reasonable length of time, and buried on Sunday last, the funeral being largely attended. We have written out the particulars of this remarkable even substantially as we have heard them, allowing our intelligent readers the privilege of drawing their own inferences. So what do you think? Thank you for watching. As always, please like, share, comment and subscribe. I hope to see you next week. Okay Everyody, that's a wrap.